Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 75, and it's a very special episode because it's my year-end wrap-up of Texas wine events, stories, and the people that made the news this year. Daniel Collada and I recorded this together, and while I provided the draft of the top stories, it's his commentary and perspectives that really round out the conversation. Unlike a normal episode, when I start out by running down the Texas wine news, today we're jumping right into the interview, and then I'll share some personal reflections on my Texas wine life in 2023, and I'll announce the inaugural Texas Wine Pot Awards for 2023. You may have caught a glimpse of those recently on social media. Whether you're a regular listener or tuning in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. So I think Daniel Collada at Vinovium is one of the smartest people in the Texas wine business. Hopefully you heard episode 38 of this podcast from February 2022, and you know all about what he's doing at Vinovium and how his Texas wine story unfolded. If not, please check out that one too. And when I first started thinking about this year-end episode, I knew I wanted to cover this ground with Daniel. He has great perspective on the Texas wine industry, and I knew he'd bring a lot of insight into this wrap-up of the year in Texas wine. Here's our conversation. Daniel and I are sitting out here on the patio at Vinovium. December 5th. It's repeal day. It's the 90th anniversary of the repeal of the 21st Amendment, 1933. Well, cheers to that. Yeah, cheers. We're not drinking wine, but... Coffee and Topo. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking time to sit with me and kind of reflect back on the year that has passed. I think I mentioned to you that last year, one of my top episodes is actually the year-end recap. I guess maybe people that don't listen the rest of the year come in and find out what's been going on all year in yeah. the year-end recap. But yeah, I appreciate you coming. Thank you for having me. I feel like that you have been in the Texas wine scene much longer than I have and have a really interesting perspective and are just a smart person to kind of help make sense of some of what I have identified as the top stories in Texas wine. And then you can share if you agree that they're top or maybe you want to throw in some extras. Sure. And so, and these are really in no particular order, but just things that I, I went back and looked at the news that I've shared on the podcast for the past year and pulled some highlights there and then just kind of brainstormed on my drive over here. So Great. So here we go. Let's the first the first thing I've identified is that we've had some really great press coverage for Texas wine and not just kind of local and statewide publications, but actually there were two what I would consider feature articles written by top wine writers and Dave McIntyre of the Washington Post and W. Blake Gray of Wine Searcher. And I think that when new eyes get on Texas wine stories, especially when they're pretty darn positive and have a lot of uh, wine recommendations and great travel experiences to showcase, I think that's good for Texas wine. Yeah, I I, I didn't read the Dave McIntyre story, but I did the Blake Gray story. And I've read a, a couple of other stories that were similar to Blake's in the sense that what was unique about his story was it it was a bit of a retrospective, meaning he did not 
taste, talk about, visit Texas wine industries and see a moment in time and write about it and say, jump off a bridge and say, this is the greatest thing ever, or this is the worst thing ever. What actually happened with the Blake story was that he visited, tasted, had conversations a decade ago, and then came back and had that former experience to judge against and then made a claim, made an opinion. What was so compelling about that story, and and there's been a few others, is that that's really starting to become more of a common a way to talk about Texas wine at a national level is I've had an experience in the past, here's how it is today versus just a snapshot in time. And I think that lends two major points. One is credibility to the industry that we have been able to do it for that long and we still enduring the process and then the sustainability factor and since that not only are we still here but we're doing it better uh, and I think that that trend is 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 quite compelling and so for me the stories are are really where the the secret sauce is made you know the the competitions and the awards and all the things those are again I feel like those are accolades for a moment in time no one really talks about an award a winery wins the next year you use it to sell that particular wine and then that award goes away because it's wine specific whereas when we reach accolades and get coverage for the industry or growing area or even a particular producer those things endure you can always reach back and reference them and i think that blake gray story is is definitely one of those i thought it was interesting too that he said that 10 years ago he pitched a story on the texas wine industry and the editors didn't want to pick it up but now now apparently it's okay to yeah um, go forward with i remember so i guess a personal thing when we had the nonprofit, the texas wine journal we had created a relationship with the psalm journal based in california and the premise was we, Texas Wines, were looking for <clears throat> some national recognition for our top-rated wines. And so the relationship was, I think it was a monthly issue. Every month, there would be a section in the magazine that would highlight the top-rated Texas wines that the journal scored. And it went very well. And then the issue became, well, people who read these wines, particularly those members of the trade, and they're seeing top-rated wines from obscure regions, which Texas arguably is still an obscure region for most of the country um, and the rest of the world for sure, is, well, how do we get them? You know, that's the next question is like, okay, we're getting all this national recognition, but how do we get them? And that, that's the evolution of a thing, right? You have critical mass and then eventually it happens. But it was nice even back then to get some national recognition. But I will, I, as we kind of move down this rabbit hole, how do we address the market side? And for me, that's where I love to live. If, if Yes. You no. Know. One thing that's not on my list that I think would be an interesting statistic is, is there more Texas wine and distribution than there was a year ago? And I don't, I don't think so. I think the answer is no. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, um, I think considering that the last several years have been really tough years specifically for white wines um i can't imagine that there's more wine there may be more producers but less wine overall because again i think one of the things we'll possibly talk about here as a foreshadow is um kind of the 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 issues with our industry or the issues with operating a wine business in the current the current economy um and as a result wholesale plays a part in that but yeah i can't imagine it's more mm-hmm well, a couple other points that I just wanted to make. Um, Vine Pair gave Texas a lot of love this year, and Vine Pair is an online 
wine site and they have a podcast. It's kind of like the cool kids listen to Vine Pair podcast or okay. read Vine Pair, but they had a meaning, lot of meaning stories. Meaning is that, is that uh, a younger demographic of readership, listenership? Yes, younger okay. younger demographic for sure. Um, although I listen to it too, so I bring their average Well, you're up. young. <laughs> um, a couple of things that they included Texas Wines on. Six out of the 25 top red blends of the year were from Texas. Um, the Texas Hill Country was named one of the top wine destinations of 2023 by Vine Pair. They included um, Texas wine in a Best Chardonnay article. Texas High Plains was one of the 10 American wine regions that they think deserves more recognition. They included two Texas wines as Best Rosés of 2023, and one Texas Orange wine was one of the best orange wines for 2023. That's so that's so a cool. lot. I mean, that's, so that's cool. a lot of articles right there. Um, Lana Bordelot also writes in Forbes a lot and often includes Texas wines. And then finally, Amy Beth Wright has written several articles about Texas she writes for a number of diff- different publications, including Wine Enthusiast and 750 Daily. So we'll take all we can get. I yeah, love, for love sure. Seeing that. I like the traveling stories, too, because it, that is multifaceted. It serves so many, serves the restaurants, serves the B&Bs, the hotels, the wineries. And, uh, you know, like when COVID, COVID finally opened up and you still couldn't get on a plane, but you could travel like that. 2021 was a, a great year for the Hill Country and for wineries in general. And so it's nice to see the travel articles push the the traveling bit because it helps everybody. One thing that I've noticed in the travel articles lately is that a number of regions are claiming to be the next Fredericksburg or an alternative to Fredericksburg. <laughs> and since I'm sitting here in Johnson City, I will say that I have noticed that a number of articles have um, been particularly favorable about Johnson City, which is, of course, a great little town. Yeah, it is. I wish the... God, this is maybe divisive. Um, I wish the city itself was easier to do things with. They're a little bit old school. That's probably the polite way of saying it. You know, not necessarily advocating for a lot of change quickly, given the opportunity. Um, And so I think Fredericksburg has embraced the tourism culture. Johnson City, I think, wants to, but some of the people that make decisions aren't necessarily for that which is why you go to the square and you see all these types of businesses that have nothing to do with customer interaction it's all businesses attorneys title offices real estate office it's like well why would the city allow that if it was really committed to creating an environment for people to come there you know anyways that's just a, a, a another another tangent if you will i hear you okay moving on to number two Hickory Sands AVA was perfected, which means it was an AVA that was submitted to the TTB, and Lano Uplift was perfected in 2022. So the, the new piece in 2023 is a second AVA um, happening. And we talked, Daniel, when I was at Venovium last time for the Texas Wine Jam on our panel, we talked some about why AVAs matter in Texas? Why are we spending a lot of time? I'm sure it costs money too. I mean, a lot of time and a lot of money to have new AVAs. And I know that you have thoughts on that. Yeah. The AVA story is the future. You know, we talk about it quite a bit in terms of the story in which we use to not only make the best wine from that place, but also the story with which we use to sell that particular wine. And the idea of 
exclusivity is while it may be a dirty word when you're trying to sell wine to a retailer it is a really important word in terms of you can only get this wine in this place because this is the only place in which this wine can grow Um, that creates demand it creates interest it creates mystique it creates an opportunity to further hone the understanding of that place i think i made the comment in the panel at texas wine jam that how many times do you, as a consumer or even as somebody working in a taste room, do you mention the word Texas High Plains and Texas Hill Country? You know, it'd be nice to have some other words. <laughs> <laughs> True. You know, and so I think it just allows us to continue to reach and push and talk about and educate and share, um, which is what people are, are, are all about. I mean, I think the people that come to Texas wineries are genuinely interested in that story because the reality is, is if they're just a wine drinker, they don't need to drink Texas wine. They drink Texas wine because they like the drive out, they like the people, they like the experience, they like the story, and then they also like the wine. And so I think having the AVAs just obviously supports all of that. Maybe 2024 will bring the announcement of new Texas AVAs, gotcha. or That's there was a recent article too that there's yet another potential new AVA that is going to be submitted to the TTB soon. And so that is out in far west Texas. So TBD on future AV. And then also Grayson, you know, in your last podcast, you know, the Red River Valley sounds like a really cool name. It does. I, you know, I, I support that fully. And I think that, yeah, it's the future. So I, I you know, it, you remember it, I think it was in 2011, Paso Robles came out with 11 AVAs in a single day, you know, and while that was cool, Nobody knows anything about them unless you study them. It'd be nice as we start to go down this path of AVA development that they each get their recognition and we take the time to recognize them and tell the story of that place versus here's a list of five new AVAs. And then it's like, well, they 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 don't get the limelight that they deserve, particularly in a state like us that's yeah very large and compelling in many ways. And I do hope that the wineries that reside within those places are excited about using it. It was sad to me to hear that folks in Texoma AVA don't like to use the Texoma on their label. Yeah. But I get it. I get it. But I don't think it has anything to do with it being Oklahoma. We're not that (laughs) divided. (laughs) At least I hope not. My optimistic self says, just because it says Oklahoma on it, that I can't use it. Yeah. I don't know. There's probably a lot more backstory on that one. Yeah, for sure. All right. In terms of awards, Texas had a good year. There are a number of wine competitions that Texas always does well and once again did well. There were 10 best-in-class awards at San Francisco. And there were two competitions where a Texas wine won the best wine in the whole darn thing. Okay. And so the first one is the San Antonio Stock Show Wine Competition. And Adega Vino's 2022 Viognier Reserve won one grand champion. So that that's neat. I mean, yeah. that's a big competition. And it was obviously tasted multiple times by multiple judging panels and that rose above the rest. Um, the second time that happened was at Houston's Rodeo Uncorked International Wine Competition. And that wine was the Parasos Vineyards Pop or Pape Blanc. I'm not sure how they pronounce it. But that was a white Rhone blend, and it won best white of the whole competition. Now, I said on the last podcast, I have to correct myself, because I said on the last podcast that that had never happened at Houston before, that a Texas wine had never won best red or best white. But in fact, Fall Creek won for best white wine in 2017. 
for their 15 Chardonnay from Sardenberg okay. Vineyard. So okay. a little correction there. Got some bad information. But- Isn't it interesting that the, the, the three wines, I guess, that you've mentioned now in terms of winning the whole kit and caboodle of a particular competition are white wines? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know. Or, or what does that imply in terms of what we think Texas can do and what it potentially excels at the most? We have a lot of red wine that are really delicious. If you were to put a column of white grapes and a column of red grapes grown in Texas, which one would be bigger? I think for sure the red grapes. Yeah, 70% red in Texas you know, in terms of grapes. So it's like, okay, well, maybe our maybe our focus is somewhat misplaced in a way. I don't know. Like if you're winning the best wine in an international competition like that if with white wines, three now, a red has never done that, right? I'm hesitant to say at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just find that wild. And, and and obviously it makes sense that they're Rhone blends, but then the the Fall Creek, was that a Sergio wine? Yep. The Chardonnay. And then you see the, the best Chardonnays from Vine Pair up above. Chardonnay is, you know, I it, again, listening to that Grayson episode, he has a lot of uh, insight on the Chardonnay, and, and I know that others do as well, like Michael Bilger and Dan Gatlin and uh, and obviously Sergio. Okay, not to jump ahead, but one of the things I'm most excited about Texas versus World Cabernet coming up this Saturday is the fact that it is Cabernet, and it's like probably the one grape that, that if you're not a Texas wine fan, that you'll poo-poo that Texas can or cannot grow. Uh, and Chardonnay is definitely up there too. And now there's consistent evidence to the alternative of that yeah in the right vineyard location in the right vineyard location i know that like we we produced a 60-day ferment super low cold fermentation with uh, michael barton last year for a chardonnay um sir lee unoaked and it was it was stunning um and i i love that wine for the fact, for one, it was a great wine, but two, also, it's a conversation starter. You don't like Chardonnay, but try this Chardonnay. And, and I think we do that a lot with our wines. Um, and so it's really cool to see to see that, for sure. Yeah, I love that. Lots of great awards and competitions. And also, as I was driving over here today, I remembered that one big piece of publicity that Texas got is that William Chris, for the second year in a row, was named one of the 100 best um, vineyards and wineries. So yeah, that's cool. That cool list award. of 100 wineries is iconic on many levels. And so whether you agree with it or not, what, it doesn't matter. The fact that it's there, it points attention to us, you know, and that's that's important and that's compelling. For sure. I'd like to see a few more added to the list, but we'll, we'll happily yeah, start with one. Sure. So it was a huge harvest this year. That's number four on my list. And, um, you know, it was kind of like, high highs and a few low lows in certain pockets of the state that had some severe weather, some hail, some hurricane force winds and such. But overall, the message on the harvest is that it was huge. And long. And long. That's There's no joke there. Don't, we're not perverted. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the harvest. The harvest in the state of Texas. Um, yeah, so... Um, the good news there there's good news certainly the only bad news is that some grape growers were unable to find homes for all their grapes yeah 
But from your perspective, doing what you do here at Vinovium, what is the the upside of having such a great large harvest? I, I think the thing is that everything is connected. The fact that you have a large harvest creates opportunities, but it also creates challenges. Um, challenge financial challenges in terms of how to process all of that, how to find a home for all that, how to age it, how to package it, how to sell it. Um, the opportunity is you potentially get more volume with which to do some cool things with, assuming you can afford to do those cool things. Um, it also creates opportunities to create some buffer for future years where you may be lean. Um, it also creates um, an opportunity for new wineries to start and to allow some opportunity for those wineries to get a foothold potentially and therefore help the industry move forward. I think in terms of Vinovium, it's a it's always a positive for us because the way that we operate as a negociant, meaning you know we are a merchant, very collaborative production with other wine wineries and winemakers, and so when other wineries have excess, it presents uh, uh, more opportunities for collaboration for us to work with people, and that's kind of how the opportunity to work with Michael Bilger at Adega Vino started was that there's excess, so now we are able to potentially start new relationships that begin something new that allow us to start a new story and it allows us to, again to to just add to our value to that to the industry and that's kind of how we look at it so when the industry grows we can grow but it also presents the idea that we can then start to add more value and so our objective with large harvest is to expand our footprint in terms of how we sell wine and i think for me the story of the year is is the economy and how do we actually make it like survive, if you will. Um, and the answer to that is you got to sell wine. It's, I don't want to trivialize growing grapes or making wine. Those are all very, very hard things to do. Uh, selling it is probably way harder than all of those things, uh, in my opinion, because it relies on so many factors to come together in, a, in the right way give you the, even the chance of being able to to make a to make headway in that department. And so growing grapes, you can grow grapes, but you don't have to worry about making it. You don't have to worry about selling it. You can make it, don't have to grow it, don't have to worry about selling it. Selling it means you had to make it, you had to grow it, you had to make it, you had to come up with a business plan to sell it, then you had to actually go out and sell it. So it's the amalgamation of all the factors. Um, and so I think having a large harvest, again, creates the opportunity to have more ways in which to sell the product and potentially at different price points. And it's a beautiful challenge that you either embrace or you get overcome by it. That pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Um, moving on to a little positivity in the year. There were sure. a lot of great Texas wine events and I just made note of a few for, for the first time, finally got to go to my hometown festival, which is Rootstock in Waco. Yeah, I, I heard great Waco. things about that event. I would, I, I look forward to going soon to that. That was super fun. I went to the Toast of Texas put on by the Wine and Food Foundation, and um, that continues to be one of the really fun ones that yeah. I've enjoyed. Yeah, that's spring, April, April. May. Um, this year it's going to be in May, and they're moving it out from Bee Cave area into more of a central location in Austin. That's always a fun one. Um, the Texas Wine Auction. Super cool. 
I love that there is a charitable focus that yeah. the wineries are coming together on. And it was a really fun event. It was my first one to go to. And this year, I understand it's going to be down at Carter Creek. Oh, nice. Yeah. The amount of money that they're raising is not is not a trivial amount. It's a it's a big dollar money making event for the industry and that's incredible, you know. When you you know, you have a quarter million dollars raise, I think that's what the number I saw was. I don't know if that's public knowledge or not. And it's important it's important work and it's also important that Texas wineries support that and are recognized by the community because we've mentioned a little bit this region, especially in the Hill Country, not everybody's super pro winery. So it's nice to be able to point to something and say, you know, wineries do make positive impacts in your community, not just for jobs, but also just outright uh, charitable contribution. Where does it go from there? That's that's really incredible. Shout out to my friend Valerie and her team for pulling that together. Yeah, yeah. Um, Obviously, one of the most recent and one of my favorite events was being out here for Texas Wine Jam. That's nice of you to say. It was really fun. And I appreciate being able to moderate a panel to talk with with you, with Reagan Sibidon, with Mike Nelson and John Rivenberg, just about the kind of the state of Texas wine and get some interaction with the different participants that were out here for Wine Jam. It was a beautiful weekend. Yeah, we got very lucky with that weather. That was perfect. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Texas Wine Jam. It's definitely something near and dear to me. Uh, one, being an event planner and wanting to find ways to give back to the industry in a way that values the winery's participation, but also creates an opportunity for them to, I don't know, gain traction, marketing, sell wine, all the things, but also have a a, a, a community give back opportunity. We ended up raising right around $1,800 for the Texas Wine Community Scholarship that we give to students who are studying Texas Enology and Viticulture. So that scholarship will go out in I think it's February at the Texas Wine Symposium. Uh, we raised another $800 for the Sims Foundation, uh, which is the nonprofit that supports local musicians and their family that suffer or deal with addiction and mental illness. Um, and then we raised right around 180 pounds worth of food to donate to our local food pantry. Uh, and so it's all very fulfilling for me personally, but also I think we're still learning. I think every year we've added something and trying to figure out the best combination of things. And I look very much look forward to doing this event for many, many more years to come and seeing what it can truly become. I think one of the things that is so rewarding, and this kind of maybe leading into one of your other points about the state fair is that the weekend that we did Texas wine gym was the weekend that the Austin food and wine festival was happening. And also the community is the community. They're, they're so tremendous that they will call out publicly. Well, these people over here don't do anything to support our industry, but yet take our name and our likeness to their advantage, but yet don't ever give back to our community. Instead of going over there, you should go over here. And the number of wineries that publicly went on record on their social media to say, call out Austin Food and Wine Festival and say, well, if you really want to support the local wine industry, you should come to Texas Wine Jam. That was that was that was really awesome to see. And and it's unfortunate that that situation is is pervasive. It seems with these corporate events, if you will, not really giving back to the community. I think the one that one as it pertains to 
large events, that one large event that was scheduled to be in the Hill Country that got shot down. Like, kudos to our industry for recognizing what that really was, um, which was a money grab and a way to take advantage of our industry. I was really proud of our industry in that moment because when they reached out and they wanted they wanted $5,000 cash and $2,500 in donated product and we can't even touch our own product or sell our own product or even be there just to get in front of whatever number of tens of thousands of people that that's that's that that's a that's a scam. Wow. <laughs> I never heard the details on that, but I knew that's, that it was an unpopular proposal, let's yeah. put it that way, to say the least. Yeah, and I again for me all of this goes to we we are operating in a different environment this year and next year and we have to stand up and say what it is that we represent and I think that that's just going to become more and more with the whole AVA conversation, with the awards and accolades conversation, with your opinions on um, labeling, with your opinions on sourcing, what, you know, whatever you're a hundred hundred or a hundred not, I don't, you know, whatever it is, you're going to now in this economy, you have to take a position. And I think that we've always, the industry has been pretty bashful, if you will, to, to rock a boat with, potentially with its neighbor. Um, and now it's now it's like we're all looking to not only deepen our niche but also fight for the dollars that are driving down the highway or around the state. You know. Yes, I want to get into that more. Sure. To wrap up on wine events, the final one that I attended was a few weeks ago. The Texas Hill Country Wineries Group came to Fort Worth and did a road show for yeah. Hill Country Wineries up in the North Texas area, which was fun to see. I know there are also plenty of events happening outside of the Hill Country that I haven't necessarily focused on, but I've even seen new events happening in North Texas. If there were only more opportunities to be, uh, if there are only more weekends, because it seems like yeah. you can't be in multiple places at once, yeah. but there's always so many great looking events yeah. um, happening across the state. What would you like from an event perspective? What what do you what's your takeaway from all these events? Like, what would you see as an opportunity or a potential value to the industry in terms of an event concept? What I really like is I like a sit down tasting. I like a sit down guided tasting, and I like an educational component. And what I've heard that is unfortunate is that I know with a lot of these events, the wineries come out and they pour, but they're not getting the sales that they want. And so I would love to see ways that the event um, brings about more actual buyers that people yeah. are leaving there with cases of wine or having them sent or what have you, yeah. because I worry that there's going to be a little bit of burnout with um, just all these opportunities to go pour, but it's not translating. Yeah. I think for me, for Texas Wine Jam, that was at the heart of what this event needed to be and 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 some years are some of the producers this past year did really well and some of them not so well and we take that as a learning lesson and try to adapt and make better programs but i think the idea that the wineries need to come out and be able to make some money in the process it is is the is top three reasons to do the event in the first place um and i think that Without that, it just becomes a giveaway. We get asked every week to give stuff away and say no to a lot of it, but the opportunities that allow not only value from a marketing perspective, but from a revenue perspective are are, are huge for sure. Yeah. Um, speaking of travel, were we speaking about travel? 
<laughs> one, we were at one point. At one point. Going back to the travel topic, the Texas Wine Lover app debuted, which is a cool way to figure out if you're in any given place in the state, you can figure out what wineries are nearby. Or if you're looking to put together an itinerary, you can do that. It was neat that they put together a a list of all the wineries that were here on site at Vinovium so that you had that at a glance. So I think that um, that's probably really helping people make their way around different wineries around the state. So I want to shout them out. Yeah, I am a big fan of the app. I think that the world is just beginning in terms of what this app can be. Um, I think utilizing it in the festival this year was, I, I don't know, to be honest, I don't know what the feedback has been. If people used it, liked it, didn't like it, whatever it was. I haven't really done a, a kind of a reconcile with, with Jeff yet. But I think that it's definitely something that I would love to find a way to continue to use because I think it addresses that previous comment that you had of how do you drive commerce? I think that there's many ways in which you can drive commerce through the apps, just figuring out what it is. And at the same time, the data. You know, the data, understanding our industry is incredibly valuable, particularly consumer behavior is incredibly important. Like I know that we always do the surveys after the festival and from the winery perspective, we want to know, we don't want to know how much you sold, but we want a window of what you sold. We want to know what the average bottle price was because that creates decisions and things for the next year. I think from from this Texas Wine Love Wrap, not only do you get to see the location of the place and hear the story of the winery, but if there's a way to capture more consumer information, that in itself becomes a, a huge factor for was this event valuable to me? Well, I may not have sold a lot of wine, but I got a ton of information and I got a way to to, to reach out to people and, and give them a deal or give them an incentive to come eventually visit to me. You know, and yeah. that's nice. Absolutely. This was a great year for educational conferences. And I started off the year going to the Texas Hill Country Wine Symposium, where I believe you were on the agenda. Yeah, I gave away a big check. From Texas Wine Gym last year. That's that was, great. That was really lovely. Along with the Wine and Food Foundation, who's a partner in that for this. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. That's always a fun one. And it's coming up again in February. So yeah. also for the first time went out to Sage's Vintage Symposium oh, in Nacogdoches. Nice. Um, Mike and Wes do a, a fun symposium every year, but I had never been able to go. Part of it is just for their clients, but part is for anybody. And it's fun to see what's going on in the wine world in East Texas and connect yeah. with some of those folks. Michael does a great job. I, I'm i sure that's a really neat conference to attend because you probably see things that the rest of us don't see. Yeah. you know, I didn't actually make it out to their facility. I was just at the symposium at the hotel, but I want to go out and see where they actually work their magic. Those yeah. are great guys. There was also a big national event that happened here in the Hill Country, and it was the Women for Wine Sense conference. Oh. It's a national thing where women, both in the industry and enthusiasts came to the Hill Country, many for the first time. And there was a whole symposium, but also winery visits. And so that was fun. And I got to talk about Texas wine. Maureen Qualia talked about Texas and and how the Texas wine industry developed and also what was different with the California wine industry. So I'm hoping mm. to get her on the podcast to talk about that. That would be really cool. Um, Ed Hellman was there, talked about Texas AVAs. And then there was a great panel that included um, Benedict Rhine and Marissa Bingham and Rachel Fanning. And it's a national organization. And it started because um, there was an anti-alcohol movement. And so the original purpose when it started was that women can promote the 
moderate consumption of alcohol and that that can be a fine thing. It's an educational body. It's not just for women. They're actually men at the conference too. And the Hill Country just got its own chapter. And I think there's a significant number of men participating in that chapter. Um, so, But is it, it's, it's to, to highlight and highlight people, places, and concerns of women in the industry? Is that kind of a... Yeah, basically. I mean, and these events just go to different regions for a deeper dive. So they also do international trips. But this was their first time to Texas. And actually, the national president of Women for Wine Sense is Amy Gross out of Houston. Mm, okay. So it was. So uh, this was a chapter conference? Or was no, this was a national conference. Oh, okay. Yeah. And where was that at? It was at a hotel in Fredericksburg. Okay. I think they do them every two years. <clears throat> okay. And so it'll go somewhere else in the future. But I hope that a lot of seeds were planted for people that want to come back and do a more extensive trip. And sure. um, they got to visit several wineries around the area and had a fabulous dinner over at Feast and Merriment. And yeah. it was a great time. Okay, so let's talk about wineries on the move. This has been a big year for different tasting rooms moving. And then I want to get into new people showing up on the scene entirely. <laughs> I have just a few notes here. Bingham moved from Fredericksburg to High. Southhold Cellars, they had one of the most beautiful views up at that tasting room. They packed up and moved to Bordeaux. Yeah, crazy. I mean, wow. <laughs> crazy. So there, no more tasting room up there. I understand it's closed to the public. It's a private residence now. Yeah. Wow. Um, that must be nice. Yeah. Uplift Vineyard opened in Burnett. That, of course, is the Hoover Valley Vineyard site that William Chris has owned for a few years, but you can now do tastings out there, which I just did, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, Lost Jaw, they have an in-town tasting room, but they also have opened this Johnson City outpost. Well, in the future, I guess after the first of the year, this Johnson City outpost is Lost Jaw mm. because their in-town tasting room is going to be changing over to be House of Dandy. And that is for Ray Wilson's brands, Dandy, Dandy Rosé, and La Valentia. That's big news. That is. I'm excited for her, for the opportunities that that, that spot will bring. Yeah. Um, but generally, tasting room traffic is down. I've heard several numbers thrown around, but I don't think it's just the Hill Country. I think it's it's around the state that tasting room traffic may be down 20 or 30%. And in fact, a couple of wineries have closed outright. Um, and I, I don't know exactly why, so I don't want to necessarily say that it's just because of low traffic, but Hill Country Wine Works and Comfort closed. Um, Vintner's Hideaway Tasting Room closed in Fredericksburg, although Rustic Spur Vineyards owned by the Mills family is still going strong. But I think it was just a big commitment to have that tasting room and they wanted to kind of retire. Uh, Rancho Loma Vineyards stopped their operations. They had a great tasting room in Fort Worth, so that's closed as well. The economics this year have been tough. Yeah, Los Pinos closed where that wedding out. That's right. Uh, shared yep. shared spaces. Um. Yeah, Shelley, it's um, it's a. I think it's definitely a year for learning and observing and creating plans for innovation and. That trend, you know, obviously we talked a little bit before the show, that trend is going to continue. And either you look at that with with, a, with the guys that there's a silver lining and we will be better in the end for it, or it's going to be an incredibly stressful time and you may not survive it. 
and that's okay too. It's just the, how how it goes. I mean, history does repeat itself, I guess, in many ways. And I think the adage that if you stress your vines, you produce better quality fruit. It's the same thing for the business. I think when when our businesses were doing incredibly well in twenty one and twenty two, and money was flowing, and we could do things, and um, that was a, a luxury period, I think. And this year is not that, and so. I think trimming the fat and becoming a leaner business and a more innovative business quicker to make pivots as needed um, means that we'll, we'll be better off for it. I think the the value of having a bigger harvest, having uh, potential assets that help you fund, getting that larger harvest to market um, are all opportunities. I think as some of these wineries and some of these tasting rooms, and and I don't think this is limited at all to the Texas wine industry. I think it's it's across the board for hospitality, both restaurant, wine bar, retail, distribution, um, that there's a shift in the market and and you got to recognize it for one and know that it's happening and two, create a plan to innovate. Um, I think for us here at Venovium, we've always kind of been pretty nimble because our overhead is kept pretty low. But I think our challenge is, is that we're not a traditional winery. So the appeal for us is not the same as the appeal to another place. And so we have to kind of contend with that regularly or daily, essentially. But in a down market, it means for us to be more creative. And I think that that extends to our programs. It extends to kind of our community outreach. For us, that's a, a really important thing that you can't really put a number on right away, but it does pay dividends not only in down years, but even in good years, being able to get out to the community, create relationships, whether it for just for marketing sake or there's a revenue um, impact there, uh, for us, that's really big. And we definitely have ideas for next year, and I hope to be able to bring some other wineries along with us in those ideas because it is a collaborative thing. I think the the more synergy that we can create, particularly in our neck of the woods with the wineries around us, that's a that's a big deal. Um, and then also, I think part of our innovation strategy is finding ways to generate revenue off property, whether that be direct to consumer off property or wholesale off property, uh, but find ways to, I guess, clone ourselves, not necessarily by a second location, because then there's more risk involved with that. But there's creative ways in which you can sell your wares, if you will, off property and go to where the customer is. And essentially, that's what we're going to have to do. With people traveling less to the hill country, that means how do we get in front of our customer? Well, maybe we just got to go. We have to be more aggressive and active, proactive about getting in front of our customer instead of trying to throw dollars at a situation that brings our customer to us. Well, I kind of like the sound of that because, you know, I live in Dallas. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think that, that for us, it's... Again, think outside the box. Yeah. Go to your customer. Yeah, I like uh, it. And they're also, on the positive side, a lot of wineries that opened. So they opened tasting rooms for the first time, Alta Marfa and Marfa in the Hill Country. I mean, there's a huge list. And a few just came to mind that I've either visited or have on my list that I want to visit. Um, Bluemont had lunch there the other day. Elisa Christopher, Crown Hill Winery. Haven't been yet. Um Pontotoc Vineyard Picnic Table right across the way here in High. 
Michael Ross Winery in Fredericksburg. I wrote an article about them for Texas Wine Lover. Love um, Tim Drake. Hope he's doing well. Yes. Portree opened in Johnson City. Portree Cellars in Johnson City. Um, J.W. Harden in Comanche. That's Rebecca yeah. Connolly's place. Yeah. And then a couple up in North Texas, Barron's Creek Vineyards opened in Bishop Arts District and Lonesome Vine in North Texas and Montague, their neighbor actually of Grayson's. Oh, no kidding. And I'm sure there are many others, but this is just a little glimpse into uh, the new winery scene in Texas. You know, there are also a lot of wineries for sale. So considering the current economic times that we've been talking about, that's an interesting idea. You know, if you had $5 million, $10 million burning a hole in your pocket, would Texas wine be something that you would want to invest in with buying by buying an existing winery? Yeah. Short answer, yes. <laughs> you got to ban it for the long haul, right? Yeah. It's not just a one-year yeah. Um, yeah. deal. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I really no comment. I'm just excited to see the number of wineries. Some of these people that have started these wineries, like Rebecca at J.W. Harden, she has relationships. She's been in it for a while. I know the Bluemont guys are from another state, and they have experience. And I know with Carl Money and with Pontotoc, obviously he's going to do fine there. Um, some of these new wineries, again, it's like you started a winery in a, a a difficult year. Let's just say that, right? And so, how do you how do you survive it? Um, and granted, the good thing about wineries is that we have a product that endures for several years, and you typically have some asset to protect you. And so, I think the wineries that are struggling, like the ones that have closed, are places that are probably paying rent. And don't have a, some type of real estate to buffer the hard times that they can leverage if they need to. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. This was a huge year for people moving around in the wine industry. And a lot of them were winemakers. But um, I've mentioned all of these before on the podcast. But one of the big ones for me, um, Benedict Rhine, no longer the winemaker at Coleman. She is a great winemaker and is going to do her own thing and is doing some custom crush, I understand. I have no doubt that she'll do really well because she's an excellent winemaker. For sure. Um, so Coleman has a new winemaker, Zachary Rains from Paso. Um, another big one was Seth Urbanic, who left Wedding Oak and is at William Chris now doing sparkling. And I understand helping a lot with the Custom Crush clients too. So Wedding Oak has a new winemaker, Van Johnson, who was previously at Coleman. Um, Rachel Fanning went over to Augusta Venn. She used to be at Becker. When that spot opened up at Becker, Remy Emler went to Becker. She used to be at Coleman, too. Um, Brennan has a new winemaker, Kevin Spivey. Yeah, what's his story? That is? You know, he's done some work over with John Rivenberg at the Incubator. I know he has a relationship with John Rivenberg and has uh, made a wine or two over there. So I'm, I don't know his whole background, though. He's a military veteran. I've met him over at Amy Nemec's house. Elizabeth Rodriguez, who has been wine director at Cabernet Grill, retired recently after yeah. an awesome run of almost 20 years. I think she was there 18 years at Cabernet yeah. Grill. So they have such an admirable dedication to Texas wine that I'm sure will continue. But yeah. certainly and, wish and her I, well. I think the other cool story there is the as Hunter, you know, stepping up into her, her role. Oh, I which, don't know about that. Tell yeah, me about that. Which is Ross's son. You know, so he worked in the kitchen all these years as a Sioux and then stepped into front of the house, which is, it, it what, it's really cool because that's a family-run business. To see how it's evolved is a really tremendous thing. Elizabeth is going to land on her feet and do great. You know, she's a tremendous asset to our industry. I just like that story. I think it's it's warm and fuzzy. <laughs> For sure. 
Well, the next one shocked me, I have to say, and I I just got this confirmed that um, one of my recent podcast guests, Evan McKibben, is moving over. He's been vineyard manager at Culkin Vineyards. And he's about <laughs> oh, to start working with Jackie, who was also just on my podcast from Atlas yeah, Vineyard Management, which was great too. That was an awesome podcast. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Our industry is advancing, and it's really cool. And maybe we haven't talked about it yet, the education of our industry. Yes, yeah, the symposiums and the conference. Mm-hmm. And since you brought it up, I, I got to give you a shout out. The education that we have all had the opportunity to receive because of this podcast is really tremendous. Like you named the conferences and the events, and they're sporadic throughout the year and maybe 200 miles away from you. And some of the learning that you get there is tremendous, but some of the learning that we get from your podcast is also tremendous. Like the Atlas episode um, and hearing that story and that that's even a uh, an option for some people, that's, I would have never known that. I mean, maybe over time, but to know about it, to have that insight, to have that perspective, that was because of you and your good work. And so, I, I mean, as a continuing student, perpetual student, if you will, it's nice to have these resources. And that's really what your podcast has become. So thank you for continuing to do it. Well, thank you. That's nice of you to say. It's I always learn stuff, too. I mean, that's why I do this. Yeah. I just follow my curiosity and and see where it takes me. Yeah, you're doing a great job. Well, thank you. Um, it was a sad year on a number of fronts, but but specifically, I'm thinking of um, the recent loss of Ed Aller of Fall Creek Vineyards and Gary Gilstrap of Texas Hills Vineyard, who I didn't actually know. But I know that those losses were felt very significantly, especially here in the Texas Hill Country. Yeah, both of them for sure. I think I had a personal relationship with Gary because Gary was very instrumental in our startup here at Vinovium. Um Ed, obviously being a pioneer of our industry, and, and Gary, too, in his own right, in terms of the Hill Country specifically, um, I guess the 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 beautiful part is not, obviously, not them passing, but that the legacy of our industry endures, and they become part of that legacy, and you can't have a legacy without a past, right? And to, to be able to reference these gentlemen as part of our past, um, I think, carries their name forward. You know, and that and that's what's nice about it. But um, yeah, sad year. It, it it was outside of the economy and stuff. There's been a lot of emotional stress this year for many many reasons. Me personally, and um, yeah, I think it's nice to recognize all that as we as we can and mm-hmm. as much as we can. Yeah. Well, another negative story for Texas wine this year was that the Texas wine garden disappeared from the state fair of texas and not only that the 100 percent texas wine list that they've had the past couple years also disappeared and now as of this past year only 13 percent of the wine offered at the state fair was from texas um i of course wrote a little something about that obviously i've done some consulting with them and i know that they can do better i hope they'll do better I know that the state fair got a lot of feedback and the Texas Department of Agriculture got a lot of feedback on the issue. And so we'll just hope for for better in the future. I know everyone involved can do better. What do you think is the call to action for the average person for that? I think to keep asking for Texas wine. I mean, whether it be at the state fair, whether it's at the restaurants that you frequent, whether it's at the stores where you like to shop, if you're shopping retail for wine, um, I mean, isn't that all we can do is kind of 
put our voice into the call for for Texas wine. Yeah. Ask for it. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the easiest thing to do for sure and what we should be doing. And I think it does work, you know, particularly in a local market, maybe not a big box store or a big restaurant chain group, but your small restaurants for sure. And that's that's important. The whole vineyard to table movement, just like the farm to table movement is, it's it's odd. There's a There's a paradox there with how you could support local agriculture except for the agricultural that you drink, you know. Even Texas craft beer, those hops and barley and things aren't grown. 99% of them aren't grown in the state, but yet that's treated as like a local grown product. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, it, it's weird to overcome that, that challenge in our market. Obviously it'll eventually change. It's just yeah, con- consistency. Of the I message. do feel a little bit like a broken record, but it drives me crazy when I just went to a recent dinner, super um, impressive setup, highlighting local chefs and local produce. The farmers got up and spoke. The chefs that appreciated the farmers so much got up and spoke about what a great partnership it was. And then the wine for each course was presented by the visiting winery from Napa Valley. <laughs> Are you kidding me? But I, I do yeah. feel like a broken record, so yeah. I know that. I think uh, we a lot of us do, you know, and that's and that's okay. Maybe that record needs to break several times. Yeah. Well, what are you looking forward to in 2024 in Vinovium or personally or wherever you want to take it? So I got engaged. Yes. Um, that's uh, that's my the best thing that's happened to me all year long. Um, I'm very lucky in that regard. Um, I hope to move my personal life along next year. We'll see how the, <laughs> how, the how the schedules work. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I think professionally, I think that I had this conversation, we had our staff meeting yesterday, and I for sure struggle with this personally, which is I basically live my entire career in the hospitality industry. All I know to do is to create things and serve people and, and create an experience. That's my MO. And I think in doing that, we forget to focus on ourselves. I think we put ourselves second to everybody else. Um, I think those that are given their life to hospitality, all have that same characteristic. And I think my staff definitely does too. I think my my goal for next year, given all the challenges that we can predict and foreshadow and see, um, I think more than anything, I want to make sure that our staff has the time and the space to do self-care. Um, that way they give back to their fullest and not have to worry about life stresses in terms of how they're going to pay their bills or how they're going to go to the dentist or how they're going to deal with a family issue. Um, I think that I've been lucky enough this year to have an incredible team that has allowed me to deal with some of my personal issues that if it weren't for them, I don't know how I would have been able to get through all that. And I think that it put things in perspective, both getting engaged and having the time to deal with some family and personal issues to recognize that this is not just a, a me problem. This is an everybody problem, but the things that I can control with the people that work here to give back to them, to add value to their life, not just in terms of a job, but something that's fulfilling that allows them to advance their careers is, is I think for me, my personal and professional goals for next year. Obviously I want the business to grow. 
um, you know, Craig, uh, my former or partner, former partner at this point, uh, retire this year. And so that, that succession planning created a lot of challenges and it's still ongoing and we'll get through all that. But I think with a fresh start, with a new year, with a, a partner that has retired, with a great staff, with good harvest, with a challenging economy, all the combination of pros and cons, I think at the end of the day, my goal for 2024 is to add value to myself, add value to my staff and to the business. And I think by default, it'll take care of our mission, which is to help push the industry along. Very admirable goals. Oh, that's and sweet. I wish you all the best in the new year, Thank you. personally and professionally, and to your staff as well. Thank it's you. awesome, by the way. Yeah. Well, one of my goals is, of course, to get out here to Vinovium for one of your Texas versus the World <laughs> tastings, which I still haven't been to. If I was local, I wouldn't miss one, I have to say. It just never has worked out for me to be here. But I'm going to be here and hopefully at Wine Jam, too, if you'll have me. Yes, of course. I think for me, the Texas versus the World, I know you had asked about it earlier. Um, it has evolved, you know, and I think it's one of those events that based off of our circumstance, our day of scheduling, the environment, the, the season, the it, it, we've kind of experimented with that concept, that brand, if you will, uh, to situate it in a way that is more approachable, more fun, more educational. It's gone through the gamut of things. Um, I still haven't yet determined what is the best format for it. Um, I think the idea of a sit-down educational tasting that's led is a lot of fun. It's just a lot more moving parts. And because most of our venue here is outside, it limits that that idea. Um, but I have, you know, obviously want to continue that series. It's such a compelling tasting. And most people don't taste wines blind in the first place. But then to compare them with some of your favorite producers is a whole other thing. Um, I've hinted at the idea of... Okay, leaning more into the education with that because I, I think it does serve it well. Um, keeping it a tasting, keeping it like um, like a mini day of like mini conferences in a single day, you know, and you treat it like a mini conference in a way, uh, like an educational conference. That for me, that's incredibly interesting. One because it's indoors. <laughs> And and it's as fulfilling in terms of the educational experience, but it also gives that that producer more than anything. A producer wants to tell their story. Sure. It gives them that moment to actually taste these wines um, with people that are tasting along with them, almost like a wine spectator experience, which is a really great experience. If you've never done that, it's like a, a room full of people tasting a wine with the producer, one by one by one. Um, that's a really compelling. Uh, type of an environment. So I would like to see if it can lean more educational, but I also like it social. You know, it's a lot more fun. It becomes a party, yeah. which is nice. Well, I'll see you there. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, you got it. Thank you, Shelly. Appreciate you. Thanks, Daniel. And just a little epilogue on this interview to wrap up a few things that we discussed. One other way that Vine Pear showed Texas some love this year is that they included Ray Wilson in their list of 50 talented individuals who caught their attention in the drink space in 2023. They call it the list of 50. It's a group of people who are on the up and up, the ones doing cool stuff to make the drink space and its immediate orbit better and more creative. And since that award was announced, I'd say Ray has done even more cool stuff, specifically her brand's alignment with the William Chris Wine Company. She will surely be one to watch in 2024. 
And this just in from Fall Creek Vineyards. They've just extended an invitation to a holiday meet and greet for Chad Aller, the son of Fall Creek co-founders Susan Aller and the late Ed Aller. The email announced that Chad has taken over the reins of Fall Creek Vineyards upon the passing of his much-loved and esteemed father, Ed Aller. Susan will also be in attendance at the event and looks forward to seeing everyone. Chad Aller is a lifelong resident of Austin and a sixth-generation Texan. After graduating from the University of Texas in 1992, he joined the family business at Fall Creek Vineyards. He then received an MBA from the McComb School of Business at UT and co-founded Deep Eddy Vodka, which was acquired by Heaven Hill Brands in 2015. He's the current owner of Dulce Vida, Empress Gin, and additional spirits brands. Okay, stay tuned for more on podcasting highlights from 2023 and the first annual Texas Wine Pot Awards. Before I get to those awards, I want to give a few of my personal and podcast highlights of 2023. Like last year, I'm announcing the top podcast episodes by listeners, and I realize that this is unfair to the most recently recorded podcasts because they haven't been out long enough to have accumulated a ton of listens. But that's just how it goes. The episode in the number one position for 2023 is episode 65, Dan and Mara Sharp's podcast on replanting the vineyard at Blue Mountain. I recorded that one on location in the Texas Davis Mountains. And that podcast is now my number one podcast, not just of 2023, but of all time, by the way. I checked in with Dan and Mara recently, and I got this update by email. They say, Harvest was a roller coaster, which certainly doesn't make us unique. We decided early in the year to only harvest the first acre we planted in the new vineyard and allow the newest two-plus acres to focus on overall vine development and not fruit. The chemistry on the acre we harvested, as with last year, was very promising and shows that we can grow Cabernet Sauvignon that fully ripens but maintains acidity on this site. The summer was hot and extremely dry, and that, along with an ill-timed and vicious hailstorm earlier in the season, sadly resulted in very low yield. On the positive note, our newly installed hail nets worked amazingly well, and there was much less damage than we would have had otherwise. We're spending the dormant season working on our plan for next year and are very focused on improving yield while maintaining fruit quality. To that end, we're bringing in help in the form of a professional vineyard management company. It's a big milestone for us to grow beyond what we can do ourselves. We're excited to see where 2024 takes us. The number two podcast of the year was episode 66, Talking Texas Viticulture with Evan McKibben. I recorded with Evan at Culkin Vineyards, which he was managing for Paternalis Cellars. You just heard me mention in the interview with Daniel, that Evan is going to be joining the team at Atlas Vineyard Management with Jackie Mancuso, who was also recently on the podcast. Finishing out the top five podcasts of the year are Dan Gatlin of Inwood Vineyards, John Leahy of Becker Vineyards, and James Tidwell of Texom. And all of these five are also in the top 10 podcast episodes of all time. And that just goes to show, among other things, how this podcast is really growing in listenership. 
There is so much good stuff in all the past episodes, so be sure to check those out if you haven't already. In 2023, I recorded and edited, ugh, over 26 hours of content. I recorded in a wine bar, my closet, in a hotel, a conference center, in a barn, and in several wineries. And of course, a few interviews happened over the phone. This year was the third year podcast anniversary, and one of the highlights was going to Texas wineries and vineyards across the state. I traveled to Fort Davis, to Lubbock, and took many trips to the Texas Hill Country, as well as to North and East Texas. I passed the Advanced Texas Wine Specialist Certification, and I should mention that in the chat with Daniel, I talked about the formal educational programming that was sponsored by different groups, but I didn't specifically mention the individual certifications that have been undertaken by folks all across Texas. It's gotten easier to take those certifications because of the number of locations where you can take either WSET or Texas Wine Specialist or Texas Wine Ambassador training. So hats off specifically to Dr. Russ Kane and the Texas Wine School for offering Texas Wine Specialist Level 1 and 2, and also to William Chris Wine School and Kelsey Kramer for offering the Texas Wine Ambassador Certification And of course, both places and many more across the state offer WSET courses. On the wine education front, in 2023, I taught half a dozen or so Texas versus the world classes for the Texas Wine Club and a good number of private events across Dallas. I judged three international wine competitions in Texas and one in New York. I wrote just a bit for the Fredericksburg Standard Post newspaper for Texas Wine Lover website and that State Fair article on my own site and, of course, too few newsletters, but that's one of my resolutions for 2024. One of my top Texas wine memories this year was when I tricked my blind tasting group by putting a Texas wine into the Bordeaux lineup, and they couldn't believe how lovely that right bank Bordeaux was. Hmm. Another highlight was finally getting to try the 2020 Abastris Sousal that I helped harvest way back in 2020. Mike Nelson and I did a great job with that wine. Okay, okay, so I didn't have much to do with how delicious that wine turned out, but it was still super cool to see that wine on my table. It was a really good year in terms of podcast listenership and recognition. More and more people are discovering the podcast for the first time, and many of them go back to the beginning and listen to all the previous episodes. I applied for and was selected for the Texas Department of Agriculture's Texas Wine Advisory Committee, so more to come on that in 2024. So thank you for listening, for sending virtual Texas wine, for supporting this year's sponsors, Somley and Bending Branch Winery, and for the feedback and encouragement that many of you provide. I do appreciate it. I'm looking forward to 2024 for several reasons, some of which have to do with Texas wine, like in February, I'll be attending the Texas Hill Country Wine Symposium and the Texas Wine and Grape Growers Conference. In April, I'm leading that 10-day trip to France for Texas wine enthusiasts. And yes, there's still a chance to get in on that. So if you're interested, please do reach out. 
And then in May, I'll be working with Wine and Food Foundation again for the annual Toast of Texas. Now, without further ado, here are the winners of the first annual Texas Wine Pot Awards. I've been keeping a little list with Texas wine things that caught my eye this year. A lot of them were inspired by things I saw on social media. I really enjoy all the best of end of the year lists for everything from movies to books to restaurants. And so I've created my own list focused on the Texas wine scene. So here are my nine awards. Retail Space of the Year goes to the HEB in Tomball. That's where Johnny Wine has created the largest retail selection of Texas wine in the state, actually in the world. He's got over 160 labels, and I know that he has influenced thousands of Texas wine purchases. The award for Marketing Campaign of the Year goes to Pedernales Sellers. Their campaign, seriously, Texas wine. I have seen this online and print and on merchandise, and it just works. It works for the big-time Texas wine advocates and for those that are skeptical. So yeah, seriously, Texas wine. The best social media post goes to the North Texas wine country for a Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey post that's titled Fall in Love with North Texas. Now, a lot of brands jumped on the T-Swift Uncle Kels bandwagon later, but this early October post by North Texas Wine Country was the first one that I saw, and it did make me want to run right out to North Texas Wine Country and fall in love. The award for edutainment goes to Texas Wine Club. That's for Clay Roop and Preston and the rest of the team at Texas Wine Club. They're turning out some great reels, doing a lot of quick interviews with winemakers and vineyard experts, and they're addressing some of the common questions and misconceptions about Texas wine. They've developed a huge following and are doing a nice job with their social media. The Social Media Consistency Award, actually there are two, it was a tie, and they go to Ready Vineyards and Dukeman Family Winery. Clearly, these brands invest in their social media strategy, and they tag me in so many posts and reels. It does take quite a bit of perseverance to keep at it week after week, so kudos to you guys. I especially love Ready's focus on farming and family and Dukeman's use of music and video in creative ways. Very well done. The Brand with Heart Award goes to Farmhouse Vineyards. There's just something about the way that Farmhouse shares the spotlight with their employees and clients and the deep and personal ways that they share the West Texas farming experience, usually with a soundtrack that makes me head to Spotify immediately. They keep asking, who's your farmer? And saying, we grew this for you. And I truly believe they mean it, and I believe them. The Keeping It Real Award goes to Altamarfa Winery, and specifically to Ricky. Thanks for showing some of the real stories behind developing a small brand, whether it's challenges in the vineyard or learning how to disgorge sparkling wine. I'll always stop for your reels because I know you're telling it like it is. The Winery Dog of the Year is Whiskey at Venovium. He presides over one of the most dog-friendly wineries in the state, and he does it with those piercing blue eyes and a friendly tail wag. 
And finally, the Lifetime Achievement Award for Best Restaurant Wine List goes to Cabernet Grill. What more can be said about Fredericksburg's Cabernet Grill and their amazing and extensive wine list? It's one that I hope will inspire other restaurants to get into the game. Thank you for your consistency, your thoughtfulness in putting together this list, and your desire to be 100% Texas. And that's the list. Hope you enjoyed those. It has been my pleasure to highlight some of my favorites, and I'd love to hear your favorites too. My lines are always open for feedback, comments, or questions on anything Texas wine. Email me at texaswinepod at gmail.com or find me on socials at texaswinepod. You can find the show notes for this episode at thisistexaswine.com. And that's also where you'll find more information about past episodes, about the podcast and me, and also how to support the podcast by buying virtual Texas wine. You can also leave a review and that helps more people find us too. This is my final episode of 2023. You'll hear from me again in the new year. Happy holidays, everyone, and cheers, y'all.